Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As listeners of the show know, each and every week I turn to the biblical portion known in Hebrew as the parashah that is read in the majority of congregations throughout the Jewish world. We chat with a guest about some of the essential aspects of the parasha, sometimes as it was understood by the ancient rabbis, but always as how it's understood by the modern rabbis. This week's parasha is entitled Korach. It's found beginning in the book of Numbers, the fourth book of the Torah, and continues from Numbers 16.1 through Numbers 18.32. It is a challenging parasha inasmuch as Korach, the lead character, incites a mutiny challenging Moses' leadership and the granting of the kahuna, the priesthood, to Aaron. He is accompanied in this rebellion by Moses's inveterate foes, Datan and Abiram. And joining them, according to the text, are 250 distinguished members of the community who offer the sacrosanct ketoret, incense, to prove their worthiness for the priesthood. Following the rebellion and Moses's response to it, The earth opens up and swallows the mutineers, and a fire consumes the Ketorit offerers. A subsequent plague is stopped by Aaron's offering of Ketorit. Aaron's staff miraculously blossoms and brings forth almonds. This appears to prove that his designation as high priest is divinely ordained. God commands that a trumah, An uplifting offering from each crop of grain, wine, and oil, as well as all firstborn sheep and cattle, and other specified gifts be given to the Kohanin as a statement of support. As you can hear from this brief introduction, this is a fascinating parasha. And the essence of it is rebellion and response to rebellion. With me this morning to discuss this is Rabbi Norman Roman, who is the Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Kol Ami from the Michigan area in the United States. He is also serving as a rabbi in Arizona uh, in his uh, retirement from Temple Kol Ami, and he is um, a, a member uh, while in Michigan, taught at a local university, and as a visiting adjunct professor, he served as rabbi residence in many youth institutes, and he is a strong supporter of the state of Israel. Um, it is a pleasure to uh, welcome Rabbi Roman to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, um, and 
Rabbi Roman and I were ordained as rabbis nearly 45 years ago to this week. Um, So it is a pleasure to listen to his wisdom this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Good to see you. It is a pleasure to share these moments with you. Um, So let's turn to Korach, and perhaps you can give our audience a a broader sense of what this rebellion is about. Well, the the story of Korach, and and who's actually a relative of Moses and Aaron, uh, is, is somewhat familiar in our own life experiences, as well as going back to the challenges that come to, uh, to Moses and Aaron in, in their day. Uh, in the previous, and I'm assuming that you had a discussion of it several weeks ago, uh, in the book of Leviticus, uh, God says to, to Moses to instruct all the children of Israel and remind them, Kedoshim Tihiyu, you shall all be holy, or you are all holy, that everyone shares in the holiness of the people. And yes, the priests, the Kohanim, and the Leviim, the Levites, have certain responsibilities versus the or, or towards the, the, the cult and the sacrifices, but everyone has the potential for holiness. So Korach comes along, he and his his band of of, of followers. Uh, and and says, wait a minute, there, there's a problem here. Moses, you've said that all of us are holy. Why do you seem to be taking all of the power and all of the authority and all the leadership just on your own shoulders? We want to share in that. Uh, we want to take our, uh, uh, our legitimate and inherited role in, in leadership of the people. You're getting tired. You've been doing this so long. It's time for, uh, for, for whether it's a new generation or a different generation, different philosophies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so uh, it happened, it happened in, the, in the Torah, happens frequently throughout all kinds of sacred literature, and it happens, unfortunately, to our own day. There are those who say, no, I can do a better job. Uh, it's my turn uh, to to take over. So you reminded us um, as you were introducing the por- portion that in an earlier section, Leviticus, um, the people are identified as Am Kedoshim, um, a holy people. Holy people, right? Um, do you think, as you resonate about this story? that um, Korach is correct, that the uh, promise of there being a holy people has been uh, marginalized by Moses, or is this truly just a story of jealousy? I, I think it's more than just jealousy. jealousy. I think it's a legit, well, not legitimate. I think it's, it's a planned Oh, to use today's word, insurrection. I think it's a power play. I think that there, Korach uh, and and Datan and Aviram and their 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 followers are saying, as did incidentally, Aaron's sons also several weeks ago back in Leviticus, and Aaron's son said, "Wait a minute, it, it, it's our turn." 
well, you guys have been doing this for a generation. Now let's share share the responsibility. Let's move on to some new thinking, uh, if you will, or a new way of doing things. I don't I don't think it's just the jealousy. Um, uh, and and when I look at this portion, frankly, I, I don't spend so much identifying with Korach as I do is trying to understand some of the responses that Moses and Aaron and God give to the reality of Korach's challenge. So can you give us an example of that? Um, so let me just read for the listeners. Okay. We have this introduction of the uh, rebellion and then in verse 4 of chapter 16, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Then he spoke to Korah, come morning, God will make known who he is, who is his and who is holy, and will grant them access to himself. He will grant access to the one he has chosen. Um, and further, he said, um, is it not enough for you that God of Israel has set you apart from the community? And he goes on to speak to Dathan and Abiram. And interestingly enough, it's not clear where the 250 uh, co-conspirators fit in this um, narratives. So which of Moses's responses most captures your attention? Uh, starting at the very beginning, he fell on his face. Was he praying for inspiration and strength to be able to deal with this problem? Was he embarrassed that a family member, someone who has experienced everything, we assume everything from Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and Sinai, someone who has been with him all along, now is kind of turning the tables? Uh, I, I I don't know exactly what Moses felt, but the, the, again, as you said, the phrase is that he fell on his face, uh, and that could be from any any kind of emotion. What I what I learned from from Moses, and then again later on from from Aaron, is that uh, we as as leaders, whether it's congregational leaders, community leaders, that we need to remind ourselves that we need to listen. Uh, we need to hear what some of these dissenting voices are actually saying. We may ultimately prove to be correct and God's voice or whatever it is that gives us our authority uh, may win out in the end, but that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't listen to what other people are saying or criticizing. So Moses falls on his face. It seems like a fairly straightforward behavior. The, the Hebrew term um, really does suggest uh, falling. It doesn't say bowing, and it doesn't say prostrating himself. Um, an unusual term to simply say fall, because it doesn't imply any kind of intentionality. Um, it's, you know, uh, did he fall because he was pushed? Did he fall because it was overwhelming to him? You're right. right. Um, the text, the verb is kind of neutral. Mm -hmm. um, but then, um, and it's not even clear that he gets up again. Um, so you have this note, this picture sure. in the text that lying on his face, 
He's speaking to Korach and threatening him in some way. Um, and what? how do you understand his continuation to um, Dathan and Abiram when he says, um, um, truly it is against the Lord that you and all your company have banded together. For who is Aaron that you should rail against him? So is he saying to these folks, as you understand it, this isn't politics, this is theology? Uh, it, it, might, it might be theology. Uh, it, it might be um, that, that they're proposing, as I said, which is one stream of interpretation of the Nadav and Avihu tragedy, that, that, they're in, that they're proposing a different way of, uh, of, of worshiping or guiding the people or whatever it might be. Uh, but Moses's frustration, it seems to me, is that, is that whether it's Korach, whether it's Atan, Aviram, or the, 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 the nameless and voiceless 250 followers, they're, they're not up for negotiation. They're just challenging and saying, you know, no, it's our turn, or we're going to take over, and and whatever. And and Moses, it seems to me, has already demonstrated at this point that he's he's open to compromises, he's open to discussion and and negotiation. But the this band of you know uh, Rav Lachem, enough already. Uh, with your with your words and with your challenges, we're either going to talk about it or we're going to turn it over to God and let God show us who should be in charge. It's um, a continuation of a theme um, that has um, preeminence in the whole wilderness experience. Yes, that God and Moses. Uh, have um, this unique relationship with regard to the community of Israel. Um, and that uh, here is another challenge, and we're never sure in the text whether people are challenging Moses or they're challenging God. It's okay. as if the two are intertwined in the mind of the community. So I want to switch gears for just a moment and say just, to you, Steve, if I could, I just um, you remember the name of our teacher, Bill Cutter, who 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 wrote something that I noticed the other day in doing my own personal studies. You know, there's a there's a piece of Korach in all of us. Very okay? nice. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's whether uh, uh, good or good or bad, and are we following what's called our Yetzer Atov, Yetzer Arar, our evil impulse, our good impulse. Um, you know, but it, aren't we commanded in a sense of a mitzvah? Aren't we commanded to to dissent if we see something that's going in the wrong direction? Uh, you know, and then we have to we have to balance it out of our role in the community uh, and and our role vis-a-vis -vis the, the the leadership, whether it's elected or whether it's appointed by God. Great. So okay. that helps me as a segue to the question I wanted to ask. And in your role as rabbi, have you felt the same tension that Moses seems to feel um, in all of these instances? Is he representing the community or is he representing the deity? 
is he representing himself and that the rebellion is against him or is the rebellion against God? And where in our own religious leadership lives do those boundaries exist? Uh I, I agree with you that there is that there is certainly a tension. Um, there's a, there's a, a tension between uh, how we feel and how we deal with our own personal relationship with God, and a tension of what we feel might be best for uh, the community that looks to us for leadership. Uh, what I have found is that I, I never expect unanimity. I never expect everyone to agree or believe in the same way that I do. Um, reality is that uh, my wife and I, would, we suffered the tragedy of the, the loss of a child to, to cancer in his teenage years. We reacted differently as far as our beliefs are concerned, as far as what we uh, we hoped to get the kind of support we hope to get from from the community, uh, as to and also as to the role that uh, uh, I was expected to play, still as the spiritual leader of a congregation that was suffering along with me and suffering for us. Uh, so yes, there 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 is tension. Um, my personal choice, whether it's right or wrong, but my personal choice is that I will lean more towards serving the community and trying to find uh, a, a, a balance of uh, a balance of affirmation of of our own communal support to be holy, to be kadosh, to be uh, unique and to find meaning and fulfillment in in what we do. And I can only hope uh, I don't have the knowledge. I can only hope that it, it is within the uh, within the framework that God would want us to be doing. That's so my we, personal answer. I mean, in our own rabbinic lives, perhaps um, we don't have the certainty that Moses seems to have, um, and we don't have the uh, direct. Uh, lineage to God that Moses seems to have um, throughout the wilderness experience, but here um, Moses. Uh, I seems think I think we most of us in the modern, whether it's rabbinate or any kind of clergy calling, most of us I think would identify more with Aaron than we would with Moses. That and there are sometimes when we make a difficult, a, a different, or a difficult, or even the wrong decision, but for the most part, we try to do what is best for our community, our followers. And then, of course, there's the you know there's uh, when when Aaron dies, the whole community mourned him. Uh, it's a beautiful phrase, but it's not necessarily associated with too many other leaders of the Israelites. And that's interesting because um, we're in the book of Numbers, but when the Jewish community read from the book of Exodus and it read the episode of the golden calf, you're not sure whether uh, how to understand Aaron's actions. Right. He seems to be the facilitator of the building of the golden calf. And I'm uh, extrapolating from what you said 
that you see him as the uh, peacemaker, that he has this rebellious group of people um, and he has a choice. He can either confront them or try and um, use the position he has to uh, turn them away from even greater evil. So he says, give me your jewelry and we're going to make I take this. it upon myself. Right. Right. And, and further on, just like in the last week or two, he even challenges Moses. He even criticizes Moses with the, with the Cushite woman uh, joining, joining with Miriam. So, um, yeah, personally, I see it doesn't mean that he's 100 percent of the time. He make makes some mistakes and decisions that I might not have made if I were in that role. But thank God I'm not, uh, you know, but but Jewish Jewish tradition, I'm not sure about Christian tradition, but Jewish tradition certainly says that Aaron is the peacemaker. Aaron is the is the one who tries to love and demonstrate love for all and bring them closer to an understanding understanding of God. But there's very little, very few times that Aaron specifically interacts with God. As a matter of fact, where's that? Where their, their time in the Nadav and Avihu story again, when his two sons die suddenly, tragically. Vaidoma Haron. Aaron's silent. He doesn't know what to say. He's 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 shocked. Is he is he embarrassed? Is, you know is uh is is he grieving? We just don't know. But it's a perfect story by which we can place ourselves again as as community leaders. So um, this story. As I suggested at the beginning and as we've continued to speak about, is about this rebellion. But in response to the rebellion, we have this um, unusual response from God that the earth opens up and swallows the mutineers and then there is a plague. Does God's response in the text seem to be over the top? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, there have been other times in biblical literature, if not even in contemporary experience, where we would say God's response might be a little bit over the top. Um, but uh, uh, there are a lot of, I wouldn't say exaggeration, but there are a lot of times when, in order to make the point, we see we see God doing things that that might be over the top, and so uh, is it yeah. using your term over the top? Is it your term? Over no, the top? You, used, you used it first. <laughs> uh, is it over the top in response to um, to prove uh, the point? It's to prove the point. Well, is it, I guess what I wanted to ask your opinion on, is it to prove the point of Aaron's role as the high priest or to prove the point that God is God? Because the two seem to get or that, inter- or that Moses is the chosen leader. Okay, so you have three people competing for uh, airtime in this story. Uh-huh. Right. Moses wants to have his point. Aaron wants to have his uh, status as high priest affirmed. And God wants to have his status as the ultimate authority. 
and they seem to be competing for what I guess we would call airtime. Um, in that, who's this story really going to focus on? And perhaps the beauty of the text is that all of them in some way emerge with their uh, status affirmed. Um, God is God. With, with their you're right. I, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. With, with their status affirmed and with, and with an example of what each of them can do in the role that the Torah, the biblical author, wants to see them. Aaron, Aaron performs an act of expiation. Okay, Aaron, you know, brings the fire pan and in the correct way to do it. Moses demonstrates that ultimately the leader has to stand in front of the challenge and say, "Are you with me or not?" Here's the line in the sand. Are you with me or not? And God has to show God's power also. So. Now, if you were teaching this, would you uh, try and show that this story was somehow a reflection of the priestly uh, strata in the book? I mean, normally we think of the book of Leviticus, Right. using the documentary theory as a uh, basis for uh, understanding Leviticus as a priestly book. You're going to start you're going to start quoting Ellis Rifkin now. To- <laughs> well, I wasn't going to quote Ellis, oh, but okay. but I am interested in your opinion about whether this notion of the priesthood which emerges um, so significantly and preeminently, and even at the end when we're told in the Torah that we have to support the priesthood with material gifts, if that reflects, um, for those who read the Torah that way, part of the documentary theory? Uh, it, it, It could be. But I, I, I think there's, like I said, I, I choose to read this story frequently and to think about it from and put myself in Moses's shoes. There are others who would look at it and say, aha, this is a justification. And the way that it is written and the way it has been handed down through the tradition to to justify and affirm the role of the of of the priests uh, specifically coming through through Aaron and direct line, not just all of the the cousins and the niece and the nephews. I shouldn't say nieces and the nephews. Uh, you know who were who were involved. Um, yeah, but those those of us who would see the 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 literature as uh, as an anthology uh, coming from a number of different sources and the way that the storyteller. Uh, told it, and then some, they, they put it all together. Well, my guest this morning has been Rabbi Norman Roman, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Temple Kol Ami in Bloomfield, Michigan, and Rabbi of a small community gathering in uh, Arizona. Green Valley, Arizona. Green, I'm the Jolly Green Green Rabbi. Valley, Arizona. Uh, And I want to thank him for sharing with us his insights. 
You can find a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website for Jewish faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Thank you, you for joining us this morning. Shalom and have a good day. Behold.